morning, everyone. No, I know I'm not Chris. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, she's coming, but I just wanted to say hey and um, introduce our wonderful friend that's here this weekend. We're so honored to have Chris and her husband Nick with us, and they have been friends of ours for many years now, and... Uh, they travel the world, and Chris encourages and challenges the local church. She is just a champion of the local church. And so, again, we're so honored to have her. Ladies, please, please come tonight. You will not want to miss it. It's going to be so fun. We're going to have a blast. And uh, she'll tell you a little bit more about um, the A21 campaign and things that um, her and Nick have done. But we are just so honored again to have Chris here this weekend. So please give a warm Minnesota welcome for Chris Kane. <laughs> I love that. That was um, a warm Minnesota. <laughs> Y'all are so kind. You can be seated. How awesome. She goes, a warm Minnesota welcome. I went, right, warm Minnesota, oxymoron, right there. And... Um, I'm loving it. I, I laughed. Uh, Becca gets up and goes, I oh, know I'm not Chris. I thought, what is it, the height disparity? Is it? And we love being here. And uh, I said, I just tweeted um, a couple of tweets because I thought they were funny. Someone said, we, we gauge how spiritual and someone's, if they're really called based on if they come to Minnesota in January. So I have just had my calling affirmed, I've decided. And especially since my sort of two places we live are in Sydney and in LA. And then someone from Minnesota said to me, it takes takes no guts or faith to live in Sydney or LA. And I thought, favour ain't fair and it's summer forever and you can all, you know what you're going to have? You know what you're all going to have in heaven? Um, you are all going to have like the Hawaii real estate and the rest of us are going to be like in Antarctica. Do you think that's what's going to happen? So I looked out the window today and I did, I just thought, y'all are real Christians. Like, you know, you all really are. And there is nowhere I'd rather be than in the house of God. So it is fantastic. And I'm so honoured to be here. We had a, a great Saturday night. This church is a chick preacher's dream because you just land. I literally landed at about 4.30, about 3.30 yesterday. And um, you just start talking and then you don't finish for 24 hours. It's just like, it's fantastic. I, twice last night, twice this morning, tonight. Everyone say tonight. Tonight, are you awake? If you um, if you were having a shower this morning, and um, you you recognise that you're a woman, could you just raise your hand? <laughs> just if you are not sure, we have prayer counsellors out there. But for those that are certain. Um, it doesn't matter what age you are, what your background is. I really pray that you'll come tonight. I figure if I can get on a plane from plus 23 degrees to minus 17 degrees, then you all can drive across the town to come tonight. And um, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us. When the chicks are together, I can go places that I can never go on Sunday morning. And um, because Pastor Rob is watching me, and so I have to be very good uh, this morning. So all the gentlemen can be very calm. I'll have five points, right half of your brain, all in order, all makes sense, sequential. But tonight we could do rabbit trails. It doesn't really matter. I make stuff up. Pastor Wright isn't watching. So it really is okay. So make sure that you come. Bring your friends, because I'm believing that many people will surrender their hearts to the Lord tonight. And um, I'm telling you, it might be cold out there, but the fire of God will be flying through here. So this is where you want to be. I want you to turn with me to our text this morning, the book of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I'm wondering if my friend Bethany is in this service. She's coming in one of these two services. So even I invite people when I come from the other side. So you all need to bring people. So Mark chapter 6, are we there? And um, just in case, if you've not yet had a copy, uh, had the opportunity to get a copy of my book, Undaunted, um, then please feel free. I th I'm sure it is somewhere. 
<laughs> is that right? I'm just looking at the guys go, they put it up here and I'm thinking, this must mean that we have them out there. And, uh, you know, I, I came from a background where I was left abandoned in a hospital. Um, my birth certificate doesn't have a name on it. It says child's name unnamed, number 2508 of 1966. And I was um, abused by four men for 12 years. And so I was pretty messed up. And um, Undaunted really is, is not the story of my life, but woven in there is the story of how God can, can take anybody's past and use it to give somebody else a future and that if we're going to live the life that God has called us to live um, in these end days, then we have to live undaunted. The, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power and a sound mind. And there are things that daunt us, that stop us from stepping into our destiny. Uh, and that's just sent by the enemy to stop us doing what God's called us to do. So I think that it might um, help you and you can check that out. Mark chapter 6, the scripture says in verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. I mean, I just don't want to throw that comment away. Obviously, they were not living in Minnesota because you do find chances to eat. But here, the disciples, um, you, look, you, I'm just checking. I mean, I've got to work hard with the 945s, you know, like, okay. Um, that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. So remember, he's talking to his disciples. But many who saw him ran on foot and got there before he did. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. That means he's been teaching for a long time, people. It was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages before the Jerusalem mall closes and before the food court shuts down and before there's no longer any pita bread or feta or hummus. I'm just checking if anybody's even checking, like you don't know what I'm reading out of just... If you go to the original Greek, it is there in the text. I, I, I've researched it deeply. Many scholars have affirmed that. And so... Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So not on any brown grass, just on the green grass blades. That's all. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. Everyone say broken pieces. So Minnesotan, broken pieces. Everyone say broken pieces. Okay, I'm going to teach you some Australian now because it's Australia Day down under. So we say awesome. This is how the Queen speaks. Awesome. It's very dignified. Everyone say awesome. You all sound so posh here. Say awesome. Okay, now say it like an American. Just tossing it out there. Sailor. Sailor. 
so much I could say, so little time. I'll keep reading the text. The number of the men who had eaten, the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, that's about three in the morning, about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. I mean, just like four little words thrown in there like it's perfectly normal. Why take a boat when you can walk? You know, it's like it's awesome. He was, he was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage at his eye, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. So I did that pretty good. You can tell I've been at the gym lately. Anyway, I just did that to show off. Okay, so not at all. So here we start, you know, two parables, two stories that many of us, two stories that many of us are incredibly familiar with, whether we come from church life or not. Kind of most people have heard about the little boy, the fish and the loaves, and most people have heard about the story of Jesus walking on water. And um, normally we teach these two texts quite separately, but you can't actually separate one from the other because the story of the fish and loaves actually starts before the story, like all stories, and it starts on a mountainside after the disciples have been teaching all day and um, after they have themselves had nothing to eat, and so they're quite hungry. And the story doesn't end till Jesus gets back in the boat during a storm and um, is disappointed with the disciples because they had not understood, Scripture tells us, the, the, they had not understood what had happened when it came to the fish and loaves. They had not understood the mystery of the loaves and fishes. And so we're going to start where it starts and we're going to finish where it finishes and see how this is the story of so many of us, how we um, actually could come to church for weeks, months, years. We could be sitting in services for weeks, months and years and we can see Jesus do incredible miracles. We can actually be the partakers of those miracles. We can help distribute the miracle. We can eat of the miracle and you can be around the miracles of God and still not know the God of the miracle. And so the text starts right up on a mountainside. The disciples have been teaching all day. They're tired, they come up to Jesus and Jesus says, okay, I've read a lot of books on, on balance and, and, you know, taking some time out and um, we're going to go across the river and, or across the lake and we're going to take a break. So, you know, the text shows us that he was speaking to the disciples. I don't know how, but somehow word had gotten out that Jesus was going across to another quiet place. And so 5,000 men, Theologians and historians would say that if it was 5,000 men, then it is not unreasonable to believe that there were at least 15,000 people if you included women and children because they counted only men in those days. I love to include women and children. I am a woman. I was a child. And so what you do is if you include them all, there's 15,000 on a mountainside. Somehow, Scripture tells us they got there ahead of them. This is before Twitter, church. 
This is before Instagram. This is before Facebook. This is before CNN. This is before Fox News. This is before cell phones. This is before there was the opportunity to have a mass mail out. This was before there was any marketing campaigns. And the thing that I've discovered is when truly, when people truly understand that Jesus is going to be somewhere, they're not going to wait until the third worship song to get to the house of God. They're not going to wait to hear who the next speaker is, what the next series is, what the next trendy song is. It used to be enough for the church that Jesus was going to be in the house. I would have a church in the 21st century where it would be enough that Jesus is going to be here. And because Jesus is here, we get here before He gets here so we can receive of His Word. There was a time when Jesus was enough. And so they would get there and they got there. And Jesus begins to teach. And the Bible tells us that it's now late, getting late in the, in, in the evening. And um, the disciples are freaking out because they're thinking, you know what? Uh, we've heard this guy start teaching and when he starts, he, he doesn't really stop. And um, we've never really understood much of what he said. So, you know, I, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. And now their stomach is grumbling because we already have been told earlier on that the ch- disciples had not even had a chance to eat. So now I'm going to give you a little bit of insight into what leaders do. When um, leaders want to get their way from the leader, they go to the leader and they blame the people for what they really want. So they're like, Jesus, the people are really hungry. Now, nowhere in the text does it tell us the people are hungry, but we know the disciples are hungry, but that's what we like to do. And so they said the people are really hungry. And Jesus, we've got this great plan because this is what fits into our logic, rational mindset, that if they go now, the stores are still open. Like, as far as I'm aware, nobody's packed a spare lunch for 15000 And, you know, they don't just kind of have that in their knapsack. And um, so, Jesus, what are we going to do? We've got to send them away because it makes sense. Before the America Mall come Jerusalem Mall closes down, before the food court closes, let's get send them home. It makes sense. It's logical. It's rational. It feels, fits into the strategic plan. It, feels in, it fits into the monetary plan. It's the way that it should be. Jesus turns around and he says to them, you give them something to eat, which is normally the way that Jesus is. We go to him in prayer and very often we are the answer to our own prayer. We just don't realize it. So Jesus says, I want you to give them something to eat. To which this is what they think. They respond in, a very, uh, in the way that most of us normally do. They turn around to Jesus and they say, well, um, they think that he has said, why can't you give them anything to eat? Jesus never said, why can't you give them anything to eat? He simply made, uh, he gave them a directive. He said, you give them something to eat. And Jesus will often say that to us. Okay, this is what I want you to do. And you're like, oh, you want to know why I can't? Okay, here's the list. So they began with, um, well, that's going to take eight months of a person's a man's salary. We just don't have that much lunch. You know, I remember when I was walking through the airport in Greece in 2007 and felt um, a prompting to start the A21 campaign. And who would have thought now we're in 10 countries, 12 offices, dozens of traffickers in jail, hundreds of girls rescued, literally millions made aware um, of the horror of, of trafficking. And the Lord has just blown it uh, you know, blown the whole thing up. But when I first had that prompting, I remember going, oh, oh, but God, I can't do this. But God, you know, I live in Australia. This was like in Greece. And, and, and but God, I just, I'm 40. I was just over 40 at the time. And I just had had my second child. And I'm like, but God, you know, but God, I live in Australia. And I can imagine God in heaven go, whoa, Gabriel, you got a GPS? Where's Australia? Anyone got a map book? I've, I'm just a bit rusty on my earth, you know. I'm good with Saturn and Mars. I'm just not good with, with earth. Someone get me a map book. 
But but God, you know, like I I, I um I I've just had my second child. I can imagine Jesus going, Well, Peter. Did we have a baby shower? Did we get that? Anyone chronicle that? Is, is it Christy? But, but God, you know, I'm a woman. Whoa, did we realise that up in heaven? Whoa. Okay, she's a chick. That's interesting. Um, and at the time, at 2007, you know, it was like Greece was on the verge of economic collapse. Now, since then, we have personally bankrupted the planet. You're welcome. But, you know, at that time, we were just about to do that. And Wall Street was just about to go under and, and everything was going really crazy. I don't know who Mr. Dow Jones is, but he had lots of problems. He was going up and down, up and down. I mean, it was just, you know, whatever. And so it was like, but God, I don't have a spare multi-million dollars to run a global anti-trafficking initiative. You know, but God, I, I, and, and, and but God, you know, Wall Street is in a mess. The IMF is in a mess and imagine God's in heaven. Go, oh my God, no, I am God. I'm, all three of me, we're having an existential crisis. What are we going to do? Oh no, Wall Street is going to freak out. And that's like, I'm so, I know I own the cattle on a thousand hill. I know that the whole earth is mine and the fullness thereof. I know I woke up one day, went earth, oops, look what I did. But you know, oh, I can't handle Wall Street. It's a bit stressful. That's how we treat him. God, surely you mustn't be able to do it. This doesn't make economic sense. Surely you mustn't be able to do it. Because this doesn't fit into my plan. And so Jesus rolls his eyes like he does with all of us and goes, are you done? And then without kind of looking, he goes, what do you have? Go and see. And he sends us to go and see because the ingredients for a miracle are always in our midst. And Jesus cannot multiply what you do not recognise. So he sends us back and he says, you need a financial miracle. You need an emotional miracle. You need a relational miracle. I want you to know the ingredients are in your midst. But I need you to go and recognise that seed so that you can give me something to work with. And what we do is we devalue the seed because the seed isn't the final harvest. And what we want is the final harvest. And so we devalue the seed. Let me give you a very simple example. The offering goes past every week. And we think, well, you know, I don't really have much to give. I've only got five bucks and that's not going to do everything. So, you know, I don't want to sow that because it's not really much. But in that five bucks, there is the potential for the miracle. And what we do by leaving it in our pocket, we abort the potential in the seed because we never sow the seed. In our relationships, the seed might simply be a kind word instead of a reaction, wife. And so um, I'll just keep looking at this side of the room right now. And so we don't sow it, so we abort the potential that that seed contains to bring life because we devalue the seed because the seed never looks like much. And I could go across every sphere of life. And so what happens is Jesus says, I want you to go and see. So you know the story, they go into the crowd. Anybody's mother pack a lunch for 15,000? Anyone got some spare anchovies? Any Ezekiel bread? We'll take white. It's okay. White, white will do. It doesn't need to be Ezekiel. That's all right. Don't worry. And so they go around the crowd and this is what happens in church every week. This is what happens to all of us. Everyone's looking around at this crowd. 15,000 people, man. I've just got a little lunch. I've got a couple of anchovies. I've got a little bit of bread. I, I, I don't have enough. So this is what we think. I haven't got enough to do everything. So because I can't do everything, I won't do one thing that would activate something. 
And Jesus goes, I never asked you to do everything. I just asked you, what do you have? I didn't ask you what you don't have. I'm already well aware of what you don't have. I'm just asking you to recognise what you do have. I don't need you to do everything. I just need you to do one thing. And when you do one thing, I'll do everything because that's why I am God. And so what happens is this little boy goes, you know what? Uh, I've got five loaves and two fish, ain't much. I can eat it. And then in a couple of hours, I'm going to be hungry again. Or I can sow it. God might just do a miracle and all of us might eat. I mean, knock yourself out. I can't do it. So they bring to Jesus five loaves and two fish. Can you imagine the disciples? They'd be knocking it down at him saying, see, we told you, you should have sent them to them all. You should have got rid of them because look, Jesus, this is all we've got. Five loaves and two, this is what we do to Jesus. See, Jesus, you should have done it my way. Because if you had brought me the guy at the right time, if you had provided the finances then, if you had built this then, if you had given me that ministry opportunity or that business deal then, oh Jesus, that would have made sense. But no, you didn't listen to me. So now look what we've got. Five loaves and two fish. I could imagine Jesus going, whoo. So you think the impossibility of the situation disqualifies me from being God. Awesome. Well, so you think I can't do it because it's impossible. Well, let me remind you, church, you are finite. I am infinite. Impossible is where I start. Miracles are what I do. In our scientific, rational age that we live in, where we try to mock and ridicule Christians and the miraculous, we have tried to make God not even fit into His own church because He doesn't fit into our paradigm of how He should operate in our time and space continuum. I do not need to create a God in my own image. I don't need a God that can only do what I can do. I need a God that is exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that I could ever ask, hope or think. I need a God that is much bigger. And so God says, you know what? Impossible is where I start. Oh, I'm the omniscient God in case you didn't recognise. I already knew what you were going to bring to me. It's not that I'm going, oh no, what am I going to do? Five loaves and two fish, I'm freaking out. Because that's how we treat him. And he says, really? Many of the issues you bring to me, church, they're not miracle issues. You bring your prayer requests every week and you say, oh God, I need a financial miracle. No, you do not need a financial miracle yet. What you need to do right now is stop spending more than you earn. It's a management issue, not a miracle issue. Oh God, I need a healing miracle. No, sweetheart, you just need to stop eating the Krispy Kremes and get on the treadmill. And so, and then, I know I'm meddling now. It's very quiet in this Presbyterian church, but I'll just move on. But God has not yet even been activated into the miracle realm in most churches because we're asking him to do what we can do. And that's just management issues, not miracle issues. He says, if you can get the management right, oh, I'll step in and do the miracles. And we live in a nation and a world where we desperately need some God's signs and wonders. And so they bring him five loaves, two fish. He says, awesome, impossible is where I start. Miracles are just what I do. I'm in the God business. That's what God does. And so yeah, the interesting thing about God, it's not that he was shocked that there was only five loaves and two fish. He didn't only know what they had. He also knew how much was still in the crowd, just like the offering every week. He knows not only how much you give, but how much you keep that you should have given. But anyway, that's another sermon. And so what happens is he's looking at it. And the reason he got them to bring it is more for them than for him. 
This is the God that creates something out of nothing. This is the God that creates order out of chaos. This is the God that says it and there it is. And so he doesn't need their five loaves and two fish to feed everyone. Like really, it's not like, gee, you did me a favour. But what he did was he wanted them to see how much they could accomplish in their own strength. On their best day, with their best efforts, all they could come up with is five loaves and two fish. And he needed them to remember that. So that when the miracle happens, they don't think they actually had anything to do with it. And see, a lot of us, when we start our Christian walk, we're there. We got nothing. And we believe God for everything. And then God begins to bless us. God begins to prosper us. God begins to give us esteem and platform. And then very subtly, over time, we actually can start moving into just our own strength and we limit what God can do based on our resources, our education, our gift, our contacts, our talent. And we've been in unbelief for years and pretend that we're in faith. But we haven't been in faith for a really long time. And I remember a couple of years ago, God's going, hey Chris, are you looking at protecting what you've built? Or are you going to step out a little bit in the boat again? When you had nothing, Chris, today exactly, this Sunday, at six o'clock, so that's why tonight's women's meeting is going to be very special for me. It is exactly 25 years to the day, the last Sunday in January, 1989, I walked into Hillsong Church, a mess, a mess. And God turned my life around. Then I had not much to give him but brokenness and shame and pain. God took that broken, shame-filled, pain-ridden girl, plucked her out of anonymity and obscurity and is using me to do what he's called me to do. I knew I had nothing. But then as you start to get a little bit of accolades, as you start to get a bit of resource, as you get married, as you have kids, as you build, God goes, well, are you still willing? to recognise that really, Christine, compared to what I want to do in and through your life, all that is still only five loaves and two fish. Are you willing to continue to bring the five loaves and two fish, Chris, or are you going to look at protecting what you've built and then you are really not in faith, you're just managing a nice little lifestyle, knock yourself out, I'll find someone else that will believe me. And God's walking across the earth going, I'm looking for someone that will believe me, that will understand that really you are never any sharper or smarter than five loaves and two fish. And if I give you some accolades and if I give you some platform and if I give you resource and I give you a family, that's just to keep helping you to keep bringing more five loaves and more two fishes so that I can keep increasing and enlarging what I want to do in and through your life. The day you ever think you've arrived and that's the goal, then I can't, you're not in faith anymore and I can't use you anymore. But the day you recognise that all of it is still only five loaves and two fish, well then that's great Chris I'll take it and you need the same faith now that you've got 10 or 12 officers and you're in 10 countries and you've got traffickers in jail, do you actually really think you had anything to do with it Chris if you keep laying it all down then I'll be able to take it to 20 and I'll be able to take it to 40 but the minute you think you've got anything to do with the 10 that's all you'll ever have because you're no longer in faith and you don't need me to multiply and reproduce I wonder when was the last time any of us were really in faith and so what happens is they bring it to Jesus he begins to multiply it he begins what does he do the very first thing I love what the text says it says he gave thanks do you realize that Jesus blessed he blessed it the NIV says the New King James says he gave thanks he blessed it he blessed what was never going to be enough what do we do with our not enough most of us curse our not enough and then we expect God to bless what we curse. I hate my house, I hate my job, I hate my boss, I hate this, I hate that, I can't stand this and this isn't where I want to be. Could you imagine how your 2014 would change 
if you simply change your confession. If instead of cursing you're not enough, you began to say, you know what, this might not be the house I ultimately want to live in, but thank God right now that I've got a roof over my head. This might not be the job that I ultimately want, but thank God right now we've got some food on the table. My marriage may not be right where I want it to be right now, but thank God that we're both still working on it. You know what, my kids may be struggling and not be in the house of God, but I thank God that the hound of heaven is out there and he's chasing them down and he's going to bring them home. I'm going to stop cursing and I'm going to start blessing my not enough. It would change everything. It would change everything. So Jesus gave thanks, Scripture says, and then I love it. So the blessing is in the not enough. But did you notice when the miracle of multiplication happened? When He broke it. Breaking. Anyone besides me in this room ever been broken? Ever come from a broken family? Ever had your body broken? Ever had your mind broken? Ever had your, your, ever had your finances broken? Ever had your dreams broken? Ever had a relationship broken? That thing that you thought would disqualify you, that divorce, that breakdown, that pain, that hurt, that, that shattered dream, that shattered business, that thing that you think disqualifies you, that abortion, that adultery, that addiction, that thing that you think nobody knows and God, I realise this does, you can't use me because of that brokenness. Some of the most blessed people I know on earth, church, are some of the most broken. You know, the Lord's by His grace using me and it's not based on my strengths. It's from my broken places that the multitudes are being fed. It's the chick that was left in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted. The chick that was abused for 12 years. The chick that grew up in poverty. It's out of those broken places. What happened to me was not good. But according to Romans 8.28, God has proven Himself true. That He has worked together for good. All of those broken places and He's woven them together into a tapestry of His grace and His mercy and His redemption and His love. And now He is using me whom He has rescued to turn around and to rescue others. It's what God does. If you allow those broken places to be put into the hands of a redeeming God, He is able to take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. Every time a trafficker goes to jail, Every time a girl is rescued, I feel like Joseph who looked at his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And he says, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for this very purpose, to save many people alive. And some of you, you have been broken. The enemy has come at you. He has tormented you. He has tried to tell you it's all over and that you've been disqualified. But the very thing that you think has disqualified you is the thing that qualifies you for the purposes of God. And the enemy has unleashed a torrent against you. And you are here this morning and you think I am just barely hanging on but the good news is that you're still here and the devil on his best day didn't take you out on your worst day you are still here you are still alive you are still fighting there is still hope there is still a future there is still a future it's in the brokenness that the blessing and the multiplication lies the very thing that the enemy wants to tell you has disqualified you is the very thing that God can use to feed the multitudes. While he kept breaking, they kept eating. And then Scripture tells us that he made them sit down in groups of 50s and 100. And do you ever, you ever wondered why? I mean, this is the omniscient God. He did not need to get them to sit in groups. I mean, he was dividing the fish. He would have had the best baseball arm. That was the best compliment you gave me. What am I? The designated hitter. I had to ask my husband what that meant. I said, is that good? And so, um, so 
I just, okay, so Jesus would have been, I don't know who the person is that could throw the best, but he would be one of those, that he would take that little fish head and say, open your mouth, person number 13,263, ping, it'd be awesome to watch. And if you did youth ministry as long as me, that's what we would do. We would just like peg it in people's mouths. That'd be fantastic. He did not need to get them to sit in groups. Or did he? Do you know how long it would take? To get 15,000 people to sit in groups, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, oh, what a baby, beautiful, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. One, two, three, four, five. Take a while. Have you ever wondered why Jesus bothered? People are hungry. Disciples definitely are. But no, I want you to take the time to sit them in groups of 50s and groups of 100s. I need you to put order, systems, structure in place because anytime Jesus is getting ready to pour out a miracle, He organises an infrastructure that can facilitate what He's about to do. There's always order. There's always submission. There's always structure. He speaks to a leader and He says, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do this and we're going to put in small groups and this is what we're going to do right now and this is how the whole church is going to be on one Bible reading plan and we're all going to get in small groups and we're all going to believe that He's going to finish the work that He started in us and we're all going to come to maturity together and we're all going to go here and this is when the youth group's going to meet and the women, they're going to come out on Sunday night at minus 20 and that's awesome because that's what they're going to do and and then we're going to do this. And you go, but what about this ministry that God's laid on my heart? And we go, yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that. But right now there's an order. There's 50s and there's hundreds and there's structure. Right now we got to get in this order. And um, we think, no, I don't want to do that. You don't recognise what I want to do. I don't want to get in those groups of 50s or hundreds. And, and, you know, and, and I don't want my fish from Bartholomew because the Scripture says that Jesus distributed the fish and loaves through the disciples. Oh, no, I, I don't want that small group leader. Oh, no, 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 I don't like Bartholomew. And Peter's got an attitude. Don't you dare get me getting my feet. I'm smarter than John. Why should he be leading me in this group? No. If I don't get my fish straight from Jesus, I'm going to go down the road and start my own fish straight from Jesus Ministries Incorporated, 501c3, tax deductions accepted. Thank you, only in America. And we get out of order and we get, and Jesus goes, knock yourself out, sweetheart. I don't know what fish and loaves you're getting over there, but it's not the stuff that I'm distributing. So it has no nutritional value and it's not going to sustain you. The stuff that I'm distributing is going through this distribution system. So get in order because I'm not really looking for people that want to impress me with their gift. I'm looking for people that understand it's not so much who gives you the fish and loaves, it's the source of it. And until you understand the source, you're of no value to me. But that's another sermon down another track. So I'll just keep going here. And so... He says, you've got to sit down. My time's up. You'll have to come to the next service to get part two. So let me wind this up. The scripture says they all ate and they were all satisfied. And then he has them pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. Have you ever wondered why? Fish heads, breadcrumbs, scraps. I love it. The new King James, the old King James says fragments, scraps. Why? Why the fragments? Why the scraps? Couldn't he just do the miracle again on the other side all over again? But there's 12 disciples, 12 scraps, 12, exactly. He could have stopped breaking at the last crumb, but he chose to keep going for 12 basketfuls, 12 bagfuls each, or one each for each of the disciples. 
Because now they were going to go to school. Because they'd seen the miracle on the mountain. But they still did not know the identity of Jesus. If you understand what's happening thus far in the Gospels, the disciples know Jesus is a prophet, is a teacher, but they do not yet know Him as the Son of God, the Messiah. They don't know His identity yet. And so Jesus is now going to see really what they've understood about what's happened because you can be in the house of God and you can see the miracles of God and you can still not know the identity of the Son of God. And for the church and the day and the hour that we live in, God is quickly bringing us to maturity because it's not enough that we know the acts of God. He wants us to know Him as God. And you're going to have to come to the next service to get the whole explanation of where we go into the storm for Jesus to reveal who He is to these disciples. Because not all storms are from the devil. Some storms Jesus sends us into to show us what we really think about Him. Nothing will reveal to you what you really know about God except a storm. That's going to show you what you think. Because in that storm, the disciples who had just spent all day with Jesus the day before, they thought that same Jesus was a ghost because they didn't recognise His identity and they didn't really know who He was. They freaked out less than 12 hours after a great miracle. What are we like on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, after our great miracles and signs and wonders in church, when that relationship crisis hits, when that financial crisis hits, when that health crisis hits? What are we like? Do we just melt in a storm like the disciples? Because Jesus is trying to teach us that the same God that was with us on the mountain, the same God doing the signs and wonders on the mountain, that same God, He says, I want you to take some broken pieces and I want you to put them in the bottom of the boat. And I want you to remember when the storm hits that the same God that was on the mountain with you today is the same God that's gonna be in the middle of that storm with you tomorrow is the same God that's gonna get you to the other side. Some of you need to stop looking around at all of the circumstances and you need to start looking down at some of your broken pieces. Has God ever brought you through anything? Has God ever saved anyone in this room? Has God ever delivered anyone in this room? Has God ever ever reconciled a relationship? Has God ever brought you through anything? Has God done anything for you? Well, I'm here to remind you this morning that the same God that did it for you on the mountain, the same God that did that miracle of multiplying the bread and fishes, the same God that didn't abandon you then is the same God that's with you in the midst of your storm, relational, emotional, spiritual, financial, the same God that has brought America this far is the same God that's going to take us to our destiny. It does not matter what is happening politically, economically, morally, or in the education department or in the media or in Hollywood. Let's not give them more power than they have. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. It always was Jesus. It always will be Jesus. Jesus has always been the one building His church. He is still on His throne. He is still running the universe. And we, the church, this Sunday, can rest assured that the same God that has brought us this far is the same God that's gonna take us to our destiny. It always was Jesus. It always will be Jesus. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Whatever is happening in Wall Street, Christ is enough. Whatever report you're confronting, Christ is enough. Oh, for a church in America that would truly believe it always was Jesus, it always will be Jesus, whatever you're confronting in your life, 
Christ is enough. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, from the front to the back, from the left to the right. Friend, wherever you are sitting. Right now, I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. I wonder, friend, if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Not do you know about Him, but do you know Him? The disciples that day, they knew the miracles of God, but they did not truly know the God of the miracle. Some of you have been in church for weeks, months, years perhaps even. And if you're honest, you've never truly encountered a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. You know the miracles of God. You might even know the Word of God, but you do not know the God of the Word or the God of the miracles. Not in a personal, intimate, life-transforming way. And this morning, friend, I'm here to give you the opportunity to have a fresh start with Jesus Christ. Some for the very first time. Some you once walked with God, but you've been away from Him, cold in your heart, maybe even backslidden. Friend, today it's time to stop running from Him, come back to Him, make your peace with Him, put Jesus Christ first in your life. If you're in this room today, either for the first time or you've been away from God, cold in your heart, and this morning you say, Chris, I want what you're talking about. I want a fresh start with Jesus Christ. I want to make my peace with God. Friend, you were created by God for a relationship with God, and it is Jesus that connects us to God. And it's Jesus that connects us to the grace of God. And this morning, if you say, I want that, Chris, you can leave this room being absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Chris, this morning, I want a fresh start with Jesus Christ. I need forgiveness for my past, a brand new start today, and a hope for the future. Friend, if that's you, let me pray with you. Just right there in that seat, right where you're sitting. Just a very simple but powerful prayer. And if you say, Chris, include me in that prayer. I want a fresh start with Jesus. Just so that I know who I'm praying for this morning. Sir, madam, young person. Then would you just right now put your hand up high enough and long enough for me to see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank. Keep them up. Keep them up going really, really high. Really high. Wherever you are, keep them up high. There are dozens of you, literally. Keep them up high. I'm seeing. Keep them up high. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Keep them up high. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Wonderful. 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Keep them up high. 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 40, 41, 42. This is wonderful. I'm counting at least 55 or 60 people that are saying, I need Jesus this morning. I don't want to just know the acts of God. I want to know the God of the acts. You still got 10 more seconds if you want to raise your hand with at least 60 people that I can see here. Holy Spirit's still drawing people to Himself, friend. Keep them up high. I'm seeing male, female, young, old. It's wonderful, wonderful. Nothing better than you to leave this service being absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Nothing greater. Okay, keep your hands up high. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want the entire room to pray this prayer out loud after me. Even all the believers, I want you to pray this in agreement out loud after me. And those of you with your hands raised, and there are dozens of you, you are saying yes to Jesus. The Bible says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So I want all of us to pray this with conviction after me this morning. So church, let's do this. Dear Jesus, I've raised my hand today. Because I recognize my need for you. I ask that you would forgive me for all of my sins, that you would give me a fresh start today and a hope for the future. I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ every single day for the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, we ought to thank God for people saying yes.